Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility presents the Vermont Conversation with David Goodman, exploring ideas with innovators, changemakers, business leaders, politicians, and activists. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by the Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Green Mountain Power. Delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont's schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. And nearly 700 VBSR business members who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Learn more at www.vbsr.org. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. In the wake of multiple police killings of unarmed African Americans, protests against systemic racism and police brutality have swept the country and Vermont. This week on the Vermont Conversation, we're going to spend the hour talking with people of color around Vermont about their experience with systemic racism, police harassment, and the challenges they face on a daily basis. Too often, this conversation takes place with white reporters asking black people to explain their lives. That's because Vermont media outlets, including this station, have few, if any, people of color on staff. So this week, I'm joined on the Vermont Conversation by a guest co-host, Maroney Minter, who is campaign director at the American Civil Liberties Union of Vermont, and he's my nephew. Maroney has graciously agreed to lead a conversation with a panel of people who he selected. I asked him to kick things off by sharing his own feelings about the protests and his own experience with racism in Vermont. Well, first of all, thank you so much, um, Dave. Thanks for providing this platform where we can all come together and, and have discussion um, around these issues. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Maroney Minter. I'm a resident here in Waterbury. Um, I have been in Waterbury since 2004. Uh, my mother is African from Gabon. I was born and raised in Gabon. My father's uh, white um, and he went to Gabon as a, Peace Corps, uh, as a Peace Corps volunteer and met my mother there. So since 2004, I have been living here uh, in Vermont. And so I am proud to call Waterbury my hometown. Um, in terms of the issues around racism um, and, and um, police brutality, um, these are issues that are per personal to me. Um, as someone who has lived in a mostly white um, town um, or state in general, um, you know, sometimes I have a conversation with my friends, um, folks that, that I meet who are still in denial of um, racism being present here 
uh, in Vermont. And so uh, for me, when I speak about these issues, I talk about my personal experiences with racism. And so that goes back um, my days in high school at Harwood Union High School, being the only black student uh, and really having to deal with everything that was thrown at me, whether from uh, students or teacher. And one particular example that I can briefly talk about is uh, the experience of being called um, a nigger for the first time in a cafeteria during um, you know, lunch hours and in front of all the students. Um, and uh, one of the issues that I had with that was the way that the school went to dealing about it. Um, you know, the school decided that in order to address that issue, uh, it was best to suspend the student who called me the N-word, uh, which I completely disagree with because it didn't help the students nor myself. Um, and in terms of my experiences with uh, Vermonters in general, after I graduated college, I used to be a fundraiser for the Vermont Public Interest Research Group, uh, VPIRC, and um, I had my fair share of dealing with uh, racism and, and being chased down the road with a gunpoint to my head um, twice. Um, and being told that I don't belong here, go back where you came from. Um, I don't trust people like you. Um, and so sometimes, you know, you have to live these experiences to be able to talk about them. And one of the things that I realize about folks who live so in denial is because these aren't lived experiences for them. So I'm so happy to be part of this conversation and look forward to, to talking to you all. Uh, I want to introduce, uh, Katrina, uh, Katrina Battle, who is a Vermont community organizer and cultural worker from Milton, uh, who has been and continues to be part of a various projects around the state working towards the healing and connection of our communities across lines and power and privilege in the face of oppression. And then also um, Jabari, Jabari Jones is a black, queer, non-binary resident of Burlington, Vermont. Um, using they, them, and he, him pronouns. Jabbar is an anti-racist activist, uh, making a living as a baker and a local co-facilitator within the National Radical Dharma Movement, um, which is an anti-racist pro-liberation movement founded by three queer uh, Black Buddhists. Uh, welcome to both of you. Um, so I will start the conversation with uh, Katrina um, if you can just speak, you know, in the middle of um, this fanfare and everyone scrambling to virtual um, signal, can you talk about who uh, and what isn't being discussed right now? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many pieces that um, are just missing from the conversations. I feel like a lot of the conversations that I see taking over um, our media and lots of platforms right now, our conversations, um, you know, that, that black and brown folks, uh, you know, have been having for generations publicly, right? So like they're not new by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think because many of us have been having those, those conversations for so long, um, especially those of us who are, are disabled, um, who are neurodivergent, uh, who are queer and trans, um, who are poor, 
um, we're, we're having the conversation almost at a different place um, in our own circles, in our own spaces, a lot of us. Um, and so one of those conversations I think really um, is this conversation about land and about access to, um, to what we need to survive, like the material needs that we, we need in order for our people um, to be able to survive and thrive um, because it's one thing to to fire a couple of cops it's one thing even it's another thing even to um, to disband a police department um, and it's a whole different thing actually to build towards the work of transformative justice um, and community healing um, of harm and repair I guess my next question I will turn to Jabari next um, if you can speak about you know what these last three weeks um have been for you personally yeah thank you for having me on and um like what are three weeks what is that (laughs) even uh is that some unit of time i don't even know anymore uh time feels broken um this pandemic has imposed uh, for I think millions of people, uh, imposed on millions of people, uh, a kind of great stillness uh, in time, in space, uh, and and that has I think uh, uh, like pushed aside a lot of the distractions that we are normally preoccupied with. Um, and it has, uh, I think, led to a lot of things being revealed in um, uh, for a lot of people in a very sudden way. Uh, the way that, in ways that that, that they haven't been uh, revealed before, like all the static, a lot of the static has has uh, been pushed out of the way uh, forcefully by this pandemic and the conditions in which we're, we've been forced to, to, uh, live under, to adapt, to survive. Um, so time also is, is really weird. Like, okay, well, like, like, is, is that the time since, um, George Floyd was murdered or the, the recording of his lynching was, was released because it also feels like Rodney King just happened yesterday. It feels like, you know, Amadou Diallo just happened yesterday. Um, it feels like every murder of every black and brown person uh, and uh, like every day the body count increases and my heart doesn't stop breaking uh, just because, you know, there's another day on the calendar goes by. Um, so all of that is present for me. Um, and the last three weeks feels like what's different is that again, like this pandemic has slowed things down and, and made space for people to witness, uh, something like the murder of George Floyd or the, the murder of Tony McCade and, and just yesterday or the day before, um, uh, uh, Toyan Salalu and brought these things up to, um, in, um, up in people's faces, um, without any of those distractions or static or pressures to just do business as usual, getting in the way. 
Um, so that's for me, that's what the last three weeks has been like, that's what's different about the last three weeks. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I certainly hear you on that. Um, and Katrina, I'm going to turn to you again. Uh, if you can talk about, you know, what, what is, what is your hope of other black people in Vermont right now? Uh, yeah. Thanks for that. Marani. I, um, I, I first just want to, you know, deeply co-sign what Jabari was just referring to around, um, around the, the impact that stillness um, and slowing down has really had on this moment um, and how that's so deeply contributed to, um, I think, sheer numbers, sheer passion, um, the ways in which people have responded so differently um, over the last, you know, month or so than they did, you know, even six months ago. Mm. Um, and so I just wanted to like reemphasize that. Um, I really appreciate the way, you know, Jabari just spoke about that and it resonates really true for me. Um, my hope for black folks and specifically, you know, black folks in Vermont um, is earnestly just a renewed commitment to healing together and to being together. I think it, um, it's common for a lot of us to manage these two combating feelings of like really wanting to be around um, each other um, and see ourselves in, in, in whatever ways that happens. And then also um, how hard, like the work that it takes to build those spaces and to maintain those spaces. Um, in a place like Vermont that is just so, that was made so white um, and has continued to be made so white. Um, like it's a whole, like it feels like a whole other uh, uh, project. Like it's, it's um, than it is maybe in other areas where um, other black folks are more accessible or nearby um, because it really is so much work it, like it really is, you know, it's, we have our own mess that we have to work through, that we have to be able to have grace in the face of, um, that we have to battle through in order to be in community together. Um, and living in this state can be exhausting enough um, that, you know, at the end of the day, we're just tired. And so then we don't, we don't prioritize or we don't, um, give that extra space to invest in, in community together and in healing, in that healing work, um, in that, in that connection work, in that community building work. And so, yeah, I think more than anything right now, um, I feel myself pleading with us to yeah. love us, um, to love us through our messiness, through our mistakes, um, you know, and to seek like yeah. reparations of harm that we do even to one another, um, even when it would maybe be a lower burden to just step out. Yeah, and, and I, I totally, I completely hear you on that. And especially right now, um, especially as organizers. And I think one of the best advice, um, one of the best advices I ever received as an organizer was find your people. Yeah. Find yeah. your people. And I feel like right now we're um, living in a time where it's, it's just 
we just got to find our people and, and being able to have these painful conversation in a way that does not offend anyone. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm going to come back to you, Jabari, and uh, I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, what do black and white Vermonters not know about what your life is as a black person who doesn't identify with the men, women, gender binary? Uh, yeah, that is an ongoing and unfolding uh, consciousness. Um, and I think uh, thinking about it right now, a lot of it has to do with visibility. Um, and and consciousness so a lot so someone put it last night i was listening to the public comment and here in burlington um like a queue of like 800 some people making comments and and someone um it was one of the one of the uh black people who made public comments towards the beginning uh of the evening referred to this the, the sort of dominant the dominant culture of Vermont is a sort of self-satisfied white supremacy. Uh, and that's really accurate. Uh, the self-satisfied part, the, the like never having to consider even thinking about whiteness or white supremacy or racism, um, making no efforts to learn, making no effort to like excavate that stuff. Um, creates this sort of self-satisfied ignorance or sort of learned helplessness in the face of questioning it. So, so it's an invisible. It's latent. It's invisible. It's normalized. Don't think about it. Um, and then it becomes shocking when it's pointed out. Uh, so, so like considering gender, considering race, considering whiteness being a thing to be considered is a feat in itself in a place like Vermont where in spite of uh, is uh, in spite of any history of racial justice or abolition in spite of things like marriage equality still it's very strong uh, conservative culture in which these things are not considered um, and so that, that kind of invisibility is a weird phenomenon, but then also like just, you know, walking around being black with darker skin and being hyper visible at the same time. Uh, and the reactions, you know, to that where, you know, on, on the one end, the spectrum is like, you don't belong here, get out of here. On the other mm -hmm. end of the spectrum is like, oh, I don't see color. Mm -hmm. both of which are ridiculous and racist. Um, same thing with gender. Uh, the, the uh, you know, on the one end, either like, oh, uh, oh okay, being upgraded. Okay, sorry. Um, like finding, uh, speaking of finding your people, like finding people who understand that you know gender is a construct and that we are trying to find our true gender identity even that if that means uh being agender or non-gendered um 
uh, or gender non-conforming, you know, in a space where, in a space like Vermont, where, um, you know, it's a lot of small towns um, and, and finding that community can be really difficult. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, Reggie Condra, who, um, is a person of color who runs his own podcast called Brown and Out, interviewing, uh, brown and black, uh, uh, queer people all over the state. Um, and, and, uh, there's a, there's a online magazine called Mount Island, the black run publishing house. Um, so, these are probably really unknown to the majority of Vermonters, um, but they're the kind of things that that help create community and awareness and visibility and understanding uh, about the diversity of people that are here in terms of um, racial or ethnic identity, but also gender identity. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess like, yeah, that visibility, that unawareness, that ignorance that is so dominant is is I think one of the things that I, I would hope that uh, people would would be interested in in being aware of at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, we have about seven minutes left, so I'm just gonna. I think we have enough time to do on um, two more um, questions, and this one will go to Katrina. Uh, I just I'm wondering from your perspective, what change do you hope will follow from these? protests that have now become worldwide? Uh, yeah, wow, that's a, a big question. Um, and at the same time, um, I think it's the same thing that I was hoping for and, and working for before the protests. Um, and, and I think that is, um, yeah, that more broadly, I think going back to those pieces of the conversation that we aren't, that, that aren't necessarily making it to the, to the national headlines or not making it to the mass media um, spaces, um, but like some real conversations about what it actually means to abolish the police, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that is not a phrase that I use in a hyperbolic sense, right? But like, what does it mean to actually engage in community um, in a way that, like, there we just make the police one hundred percent like you. There's no not even a a, a an inkling of yearning for them mm -hmm. to exist. Um, you know, they can be an option that no one chooses. Um, and that's really, I think, like the world that I seek to exist in and that mm -hmm. I strive to build and that's super messy <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, involves a whole lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what, you know, to revalue one another, um, right, right. to begin to actually see one another um, in the fullness of our humanity and not just as... Um, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit um, in, in other spaces, but like often when we engage with people, or we meet people, we frequently just put them into the box of our perspective of them in a moment. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be as broad as like, oh, that person on the street or even as personal as like my mom and my friend and how we can put people in these boxes that actually serves to compartmentalize them and not see their fullness. I mean, think about, about like, you know, I think about my relationship with my mother and how like for so much of my life, I saw her as my mother and that was it. Wow. Thank you. Not, Thank you so much. A, yeah, not, not, a, not a wife, not a, um, you know, not a community member, not an accountant, you know, not as a daughter, but just in this really singular way. And so right. I think. Um, well, thank you. Thank, thank you for talking, uh, sharing that. I think we're, Jabari, I think we're, we're running out of time, but I just want to hear your thought, uh, your thought on this one last question. Um, if you can just give me your thoughts really quick in terms of um, one of the conversations you and I have had is um, systemic racism. And, you know, what do you think it needs to be done um, to dismantle um, systemic racism, whether here in Vermont or nationwide? If you can just be brief about that. Uh, yeah, well, real quick, I think to piggyback off of what Katrina was saying, uh, to have a cultural revolution in a way that uh, is about seeing people in their complexity. One of the things about white supremacy and whiteness is uh, how it tries to uh, oversimplify humanity. Mm. Right, that you're just this and Mm. you're valuable or you're just that and you're deficient. And human beings are really much more complex than that. Humans are inherently valuable. And so uh, that's not reflected in our society, uh, in our systems, our institutions. Um, So a real cultural revolution will come when we decide we're going to recognize people in uh, all of their complexity. That will shift what justice looks like. That will shift how how our systems and institutions serve us rather than us serving them. Uh, it'll shift everything. I'm going to um, jump in and we're going to have to uh, leave it there. Um, you're listening to the Vermont Conversation uh, and uh, Maroni Minter has been co-hosting with me this week. Um, we're going to thank our guests, Jabari Jones and Katrina Battle. And we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, uh, Maroney and I uh, will continue the conversation about systemic racism, police brutality, and where we go from here. This is the Vermont Conversation. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman is brought to you by Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility and by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation, Green Mountain Power, Concept 2, Norwich Solar Technologies, The Alchemist Brewery, Let's Grow Kids, UVM Medical Center, and nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit. Welcome back to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. We're spending the hour talking with people of color around Vermont about their experience with systemic racism, police harassment, and the challenges they face on a daily basis. As we examine racism within every institution, we need to include the media. 
there are few reporters of color in Vermont, including at this station, and these discussions about racism are almost always led by white reporters. So this week on the Vermont Conversation, I'm joined by a guest co-host, Maroni Minter, campaign director at the American Civil Liberties Union of Vermont, and my nephew. Maroni has graciously agreed to lead a conversation about racism with a panel of people who he selected. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Dave. Um, I think the first thing I want to do is um, um, introduce um, our next guest, and then we'll jump into uh, a conversation. Uh, we have uh, with us uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher Woods, who goes by Topher. Um, he is the executive director of Vermont Psychiatric Survivors. Um, and we have Marlena Tucker-Fishman, who is a good friend of mine. Um, and a resident of uh, Waterbury. Uh, and we also have Damien Garcia tonight. Damien is a resident of Waterbury who will be a freshman at Harwood uh, next year and uh, a rising advocate for racial justice here in Waterbury. Um, and then we have um, um, Serenity, who is a 10-year-old who uh, used to live here in Vermont and moved to Atlanta about a year ago with her family, and she is back to Vermont visiting her grandfather for the summer. So thank you for being here. Um, I'll, I'll I'll start the conversation with uh, Topher. Um, I'm I'm just wondering, Topher, if you can speak to what does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Okay, so Black Lives Matter to me is not does not is not a movement about the elevation of Black Lives above any others, but it's about the fact that we, um, our lives on a daily basis, um, we move through the world seen differently, treated differently, and the, and, and it's, it's not just by the average person on the street, but by the systems that we interact with as well. So um, that being said, what Black Lives Matter means is that our lives on our daily basis as we walk through them, the lives of ourselves, the lives of our families, the lives of our children are just as important as the lives of everyone else. Thank you. Thank you, Topher. Um, and I'll pass the next, this next question to uh, Marlena. Um, and Marlena, I'm just wondering if you can talk about what it's like to be a black woman um, in Vermont and, and raising two biracial young boys? It's a good question. I feel like it's so layered. I don't know how much time I have to answer it. Um, part of me feels like it's great to be here and have them be connected with their family that, that's next door and be able to be out in nature with um, and having the space to just be free and think in that regard and not having so much of um, the in-your-face controversies that are apparent in other communities. And at the same time, sometimes I'm concerned about the lack of diversity that's here. I won't say it's a lack of culture because Vermont is definitely culturally diverse. There's people doing a bunch of different things, but um, the exposure to it, I find from a, um, we have to sometimes seek outside or make it happen within our household or community events to bring some of the exposure to Vermont rather than extending outside for some of the diversity that we're looking for. So it's a mixed box, if that makes sense. I definitely wouldn't see myself living anywhere in this country, um, but Vermont right now, 
But at the same time, uh, if I were to go somewhere else, I would want to go out of the country. But Vermont is a great place to live. It's just lacking some of um, the cultural experiences that we would want to expose our ch children to, but making a point, an effort to bring it into the community. Um, and my next question, um, I'm going to ask Damien. Um, Damien, if you can speak to what it's like for you growing up in an overwhelmingly white town and attending uh, what's mostly white school. I mean, I'm lucky to, once again, we're lucky to live where we live, but also people tend to not know how to treat me, even if it's not, um, even if they're not being rude or racist, they, um, treat me like I'm uh, like I'm different even if it's not in a negative way um so I mean that's not the best so um also I don't really get to experience much in my own culture because I'm so far away from uh, I'm half Haitian so I'm so far away so I don't really get to experience much of my culture mm. up here yeah uh Haitian culture isn't very strong, and my dad didn't get here until recently, so I didn't have many um, many other people that shared the same kind of upbringing, I guess. So it would have been nice to have more people uh, who I wish I I had more. It was a little more diverse, so I had people to who shared the same experiences as me, who I could talk to about stuff like this. Um. So, I guess, I mean, I wish I grew up in a more diverse like, area, I guess. Not area, but I wish there was more diversity where I grew up. Yeah. Um, because I think it, it's nice to have people who know the experiences you have. So, I guess it's both good and bad. Thank you. Thank you, Damien. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you. Um, again and serenity thanks again for being on here and again thank you for having the courage to get up and, and speak at the rally on on sunday i want to tell you that since you spoke so many people have reached out to me who are willing to tell their stories and, and really giving credit to to you for inspiring them and giving them the courage to to be willing to tell their stories as well so thank you so much um you're welcome yeah so i just wanted to you know, keep it simple and, and ask you to talk about your your experience again. I know your story was so moving and I figure um you know we want more people to be able to to hear to hear from you. So if you wanna just tell you that story that you, you told again and anything you wanna talk about. So I've been here for a couple weeks now and every time I see like a car or a police officer, it brings me back to that moment. Mm -hmm. So I try not to think about it as much, but kind of do. And what happened was my police officer pulled three black people over in a car. And the feeling of knowing that would just, I don't even want to think about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to relive those that those moment again. Um, so let me just ask if you can talk about what has it been like to to live in Atlanta and and then coming back 
back home to visit. I've, I've been feeling better because I've been around more people my color, my race. Mm. And coming back here just brings me back to happy memories, but I'm just still kind of bummed that not a lot of people my race are here because like if we go like swimming or something I'm like the only person I'm technically like the only person out of a lot of people who are um colored so it just makes me feel a little bit different like I'm left out thank you thank you for sharing that and I totally hear here and I, I can can sympathize with that um sentiment I want to get back to Topher and um what are you know, what, what steps can legislators take in these next few months to address racial disparities within our schools or the criminal justice system in, in, in general? In the conversation that we had with a number of people from the community, um, there were a few things that we agreed would be good, but we also kind of, although they didn't particularly, I should say they didn't particularly hear what we were saying or how we were, or, or how we were saying what we were saying. What we were saying is, there is, I don't, that none of us wanted, wanted, uh, uh, we elected Obama, therefore racism is over. None of us wanted a, there was a civil rights hack to happen, so like, we're all good. Like that, that kind of um, belief that you can do, make a single act and that everything will change is not real. This is a journey. And it's and, and it's, it's it's over a four hundred year old journey. So we're not going to get there by the end of June by passing a, a bill that say about the use of force when we aren't defining what is serious. Um, we we don't want a symbolic act. Um, what can they do? What they can do is that rather than trying to make something happen by the end of the session in June. Um, they have to come back in August anyway. They can start to craft language as to something they'll bring back because anything that they try and do by the end of June will not take into consideration um, the feeling of the community about that because there will be no time for public comment. Um, this, this meeting that we had was an attempt to find out what we wanted and there was no simple bullet list of what we wanted. We wanted things like simple like uh, civil, like civil uh, civilian oversight of the police. We talked about things like um, uh, removing accreditation of any officer who's involved in violence. We talked about things like um, if you're going to do trainings, the trainings can't be a one-off. Mm. There has to be monitoring and evaluation. We have to see if it's working, and we and it needs to be ongoing. It's not a I I, I took a diversity training and now I'm not a I'm not using white supremacy in the way that I police. Um, those were the conversations that we were starting to have, and we were also, we were also. They also talked about, you know, wanting to take a look at themselves. You know, we asked the question: How does your white supremacy inform the way that you make decisions? And there was a lot of shuffling and discomfort around that because, you know, there was a lot of real "I don't know." And you know the, the thing that's really difficult when you ask people those questions is their immediate re response is, I'm not a racist, I'm a good person. I'm not a racist, I'm a good person does not the fact that you participate in the system that tends to look down on people who don't look like you. So that 
that's something that we they say that they're going to work on uh, both over the summer and then in, in, in January. And I'm looking forward to that. But the idea that uh, while I don't while I don't believe that people of color should have to go and do a lot of hold handing hand holding and you know congratulating people for feeling bad. And as I, I tend to say, we don't need to give them a sucker and uh, a hug and say, I'm glad you feel bad. You are a good person and now you get to go do nothing. Um, that's not, that's not possible. I hope will happen. And neither, however, do I hope that they are going to bring a bunch of people of color and a bunch of people who uh, of indigenous people and people who have mental health issues and ask them to engage in trauma porn by barfing all over them, all the bad things that have happened, and then to listen to the stories and feel like they've been informed and they now know something. There needs to be an ongoing process for them as well. Um, overnight, and it doesn't change by people just taking a class or doing a seminar. It's, it's something, it's, it's a continuing conversation. Let me uh, get back to uh, uh, Marlena. Uh, my good friend, uh, Marlena, if, you know, it is said that Vermont is one of the best states to raise a family. And I'm just wondering, as someone who moved to the state from Jersey yourself, uh, what advice do you have to, uh, you know, a young black couple who's looking to move to Vermont and start a family? My advice would be to embrace the fresh air and also um, actively try to get your children exposed to people like Damien was saying, saying of diverse backgrounds. That's one of the main things that um, has been a concern of mine, especially given that our kids, a term that I don't usually use, are biracial and they're exposed to people of a lot of white background or they're Jewish and black and they're exposed to a lot of their Jewish culture and a lot of their blackness through me and when we go to visit Jersey or our family in New York. But uh, you have to like make a point to seek out the community that, that you have with, with, that's in arm reach, which for Vermont is like half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour distance, that you have to be willing to go to connect your kids to people that look like them, because like Serenity and Damien are both saying, it's important to be able to share a joke and have someone just to relate to it without having to explain it based on like the cultural experiences that you share. So being here, um, it's relaxed in the way that you're able to live your lifestyle, but it's also an active effort to make sure your kids are exposed to all of who they are. Wow, that's, that's I think that was well said. Um, thank you so much. Um, and I will come back to you, Damien. Um, I'm just wondering if you can talk about what, what would you say to, um, to your white friends at school um, what should you white friends know about you? Um, that I'm not any different, I guess. <clears throat> um, that um, you don't have to treat me any different, like normally, which I think a lot of people do. But especially mm -hmm. when things like what's happening currently on the news happen, or like during like a slavery unit or something, um, people tend to like treat me like different than other people mm. um, talk to me in a different tone or something or like rethink like even like the simplest set sentence like if they're gonna say hi or something like that like mm. not necessary because that's also dehumanizing uh when like you're treated uh like 
an oversensitive kind of way, I guess, that, yes, do be um, careful about things you say, but you don't have to treat me um, as if, like, I'm a baby or anything like that. I don't know. Serenity, I'm going to ask you the same question. Why would you want your white friends in school to know about you? I would think that they should just know about me, like, technically I would think if you said something to me and someone else answers the question that you asked me, but in the way that I wouldn't answer, mm. I wouldn't want you to answer it for me like I can't speak for myself. And I'm going to build on that a little bit just because I have never been to to Atlanta uh, myself. So what would you say has been the biggest difference um, in addition to now you are more exposed to more black people in Atlanta? Um, what a, has been huge, a huge difference for me is that I wasn't the only colored person in my class. I wasn't the only person of a different race than other people because when I was at school in Vermont and we were and we were just like sitting next to each other, I would want to sit next to someone who was my race but not sitting at the same tables of other races because like if we were taking a class picture, you would only see you I would stand out more which I like but it kind of gets a little bit lonely I hear you on that and um, I went to a school here and I was the only black kid and I always felt the same way that I can you know I couldn't get away with anything that other students got away with because I stood out as I was the only black person so um and um, thank you for sharing your experience. I think we have a few minutes left, and I want to uh, turn it back to Tofre if he is still on. Um, I wanted to come back to that, the subject of uh, white supremacists and, um, you know, some, I'm, I'm just wondering, just wanted to hear your thought about what do you think needs to be done to eradicate uh, white supremacy, whether here in Vermont or um, in the nation in general? It starts with sharing of power. Um, when any one group has a high concentration of power, um, that group tends to make choices that advantage itself. Um, so if we're going to make things different, then who leads us has to look different. Um, the people who are made invisible um, black people, any people of color, immigrants, um, those with mental and physical handicaps, uh, the LGBTQ community, like these are all people who get the subtle message on a regular basis that your needs don't matter, your opinions don't, your opinions don't have any weight. And if you want anything from us, you should ask nicely and take what you get. We have to change that culture, that culture to say it's not about us as a group, it's a, like as an individual, all of us. We're running out of time. Um, thank you thank you so much for that. We, we wanna thank all of our guests tonight. Um, and um, I will uh, pass the mic to 
to David. Thank you for leading that discussion. And uh, Maroney, I know you wanted to mention some legislation that was very important that you've been working on at ACLU of Vermont. So maybe just quickly talk about legislation that'll make a difference. Yeah, so right now there are a few bills that uh, legisl uh, the legislature should be considering. Um, the first one is H808, which is to create a statewide policy uh, for use of deadly force by law enforcement and H464 relating to law enforcement training and appropriate use of um, force. Uh, the, the, um, and, oh, H284, which is a bill to collect and analyze system-wide criminal justice data um, and H478, which establishes a task force to study and consider the state apology uh, and proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery. Um, and so I want to, folks who are listening, if, if you can please contact your um, state representative and, and senator and, and ask him to, to support those bills. Okay, well, I want to thank all of you, uh, Marlena Tucker-Fishman, Topher Woods, Serenity, and Damian Garcia, and Maroni Minter of ACLU Vermont, uh, my nephew. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining us in this really important conversation that uh, does not end today, but really has to continue. Uh, so that does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all Vermont Conversations at vermontconversation.com. You can tune in next Wednesday at 1 for another Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. The Vermont Conversation with David Goodman. This special feature from Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility is underwritten in part by Vermont Student Assistance Corporation. VSAC helps students of all ages save, plan, and pay for college and career training with education and career planning services, need-based grants, scholarships, low-cost education loans, and Vermont's official 529 college savings plan. Norwich Solar Technologies, providing complete clean energy services to Vermont schools, towns, nonprofits, and businesses. Green Mountain Power, delivering clean, cost-effective, and highly reliable power to customers and offering cutting-edge products and services to reduce costs and carbon. The Alchemist Brewery of Waterbury and Stowe, proud B Corp, using the power of business to support a clean environment and economic opportunity for all. UVM Medical Center, Burlington, Vermont, the heart and science of medicine. Let's Grow Kids, a statewide campaign about the need for more high-quality, affordable childcare in Vermont to better support our children, families, communities, and economy. Concept 2, designers and manufacturers of Concept 2 rowing oars, indoor rower, ski erg, and bike erg, and proud to support nonprofit groups such as the Green Mountain Club. And nearly 700 business members of Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility who believe that sustainable business practices value people, planet, and profit.